Good morning, and welcome to DentWire Municipal's webinar, Muni Midterm Mayhem. Today our reporters will focus on the 2018 midterm elections in five key states. Those midterms occurring, of course, three weeks from today. And the five states are California, Connecticut, Illinois, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. I'm Greg Clark. I'm head of municipal research at DebtWire, and I'm joined today by Maria Almonte, Caitlin Devitt, and Kathy O'Donnell, each of whom is a very experienced reporter, and they will talk about these five states. Three states in this group, Connecticut, Illinois, and Pennsylvania, are well known to the muni market as having a higher than average level of fiscal stress. Among these three right now, I think we'd all agree that Illinois is the most stressed, followed probably by Connecticut and then by Pennsylvania. Also in California, Connecticut, and Michigan, there is no incumbent governor appearing on the ballot. Governor Brown of California, Governor Malloy of Connecticut, and Governor Snyder of Michigan, none of those gentlemen is appearing on the November ballot. So we'll have a new governor either way in each of those three states. Our journalists will discuss possible effects of election outcomes on state aid to municipalities, changes, possible changes in state oversight roles and pension funding. And we'll also discuss voter initiatives. First on our list is California. Maria, start us off, please. Good afternoon. I'm Maria Amante. I'm a reporter for uh, DebtWire, obviously. Um, let's start with the gubernatorial race in California. It pits uh, Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom against uh, John Cox, who's a Republican and a businessman. Um, they're running to replace uh, Governor Jerry Brown, uh, who's been in there for two terms and also in the 80s, I want to say as well. Um, currently, Newsom leads by double digits. Uh, what is next there, or what's interesting about California, is that they have a boom-bust economy. So when things are really good in California, they're good. And when they're really bad, uh, they're really bad. Um, and Brown inherited uh, a very bad time in California's um, finances. Uh, but since then, in his eight years, uh, he's accumulated $17 billion in reserves on a $190 billion budget. Um, one thing Gavin Newsom has promised to do is protect the rainy day fund uh, built up by Governor Jerry Brown. The only caveat to that is that $17 billion, although give or take it's 10% of the state's overall budget, it could go very quickly in one of those volatile times. Um, Otherwise, financially, uh, according to Newsom, everything is on the table, including making changes to Proposition 13. Um, we'll discuss that a little bit more in a moment, but that's uh, California's uh, rule governing uh, California property taxes. Um, Newsom also wants to broaden the tax burden and increase taxes on services. Uh, Cox 
wants to decrease taxes and regulation on business, improve infrastructure, and ensure approval of Proposition 6, a repeal of, the, of a recent gas tax increase, and we'll address that um, momentarily as well. Uh, Cox is also supportive of charter schools and wants to grow the economy to generate more revenue for things like pensions. Um, he also wants to leave Proposition 13 as is uh, and create a quote-unquote revenue-neutral plan to reform the state tax structure. Uh, there are 11 questions on the California ballot. We'll focus on six. Um, one of them was kicked off the ballot, Prop 9. It was going to divide California into three um, separate states, but the state Supreme Court um, removed that from the ballot. Uh, the first four propositions are pretty straightforward. The first one, Proposition 1, approves uh, $4 billion in housing assistance general obligation bonds uh, for housing-related projects, grants, and loans. If it's approved, um, it will increase the state debt service costs by $170 million a year for the next 35 years. Um, Proposition 2 in, would use the state's millionaire's tax for homelessness prevention, and it authorizes $2 billion in revenue bonds for mental health services and would create 20,000 uh, supportive, supportive housing units. Uh, that would come at a $140 million increase to debt service costs. Uh, Proposition 3 approves um, $8.9 billion in general obligation bonds for several water projects, including repairing the Oroville Dam, restoring Bay Area wetlands, and helping Central Valley farmers recharge depleted groundwater. Obviously, the water issue is a very substantial one in California, given the drought and the wildfires. Um, but in this case, it might not do much to uh, help uh, achieve any goals that they might have. What's more is that voters may have water bond fatigue. This is the fourth proposition since 2014 um, on a water at matter and also the second one this year. Critics of this initiative say it's a gimme for big farming interests. That one would increase debt service costs by $433 million a year. Uh, Proposition 4 authorizes $1.5 billion in general obligation bonds for construction and capital projects at children's hospitals. Um, so now we're going to go back to, or so now we're going to discuss Proposition 5, which is directly tied to Proposition 13. About 40 years ago, voters in California approved changes to the pro state property tax um, and, or the way properties are taxed in the state. Uh, right now, you're not taxed on the fair value of your home uh, in California. You're taxed on the um, amount you paid for it when you purchased it. And so what Proposition 5 would do is allow homeowners over the age of 55 to transfer that tax assessment from one property to another. Uh, what critics say about that is that it's a property tax break for older homeowners making housing even more unaffordable for younger buyers. Uh, proponents of 
Proposition 5 say that uh, it gives seniors the right to move without um, any penalties. I'm going to go on, on a limb here and predict this one will go down, having, having seen no polls. But there's a lot more voters age 18 to 54 than there are age 55 and over, even though those 55 and over probably, I'm sure, have a higher turnout rate at the polls. But it's, this just, I don't know. I'll leave it at that. No, you're, you might be right. Housing is a, another key issue in the state, um, the affordability of housing especially, and making housing even more unaffordable. It would make housing more unaffordable for younger buyers um, and those are the ones who are less able to afford it. Um, and, it and that would cost the, states, the state itself and municipalities about a billion dollars a year if it were approved. Um, finally, uh, Proposition 6 in California would repeal a 12 cent increase to the gas tax and um, repeal some vehicle registration fees that were enacted in 2017. Again, the John Cox, the uh, Republican candidate for governor, is supportive of this uh, initiative. He's the face of this campaign. Um, the expected cost would be $5 billion a year to both states and municipalities. And obviously that means there's less money available for other spending priorities. And further, if this were approved, um, instead of the legislature uh, approving any fuel um, taxes, tax increases, or increases to the vehicle registration fees, it would go to the voters, which makes it a heavier lift and more difficult to increase those um, taxes and fees and therefore makes it more difficult to pursue uh, infrastructure projects. So this is one of those proposals where if you vote yes on the, on the proposal, you're voting against something. You're voting against the uh, gas and vehicle registration incre increased fees. Correct. Okay. Another key state is Connecticut, uh, again with Governor Daniel Malloy not standing for re-election. Uh, Maria, again, please tell us a little bit more. Sure. Governor Malloy, he's a Democrat. He um, it has the dis distinction of being one of the least popular uh, governors nationwide. Nevertheless, uh, Ned Lamont, another Democrat, uh, is ahead of his opponent, Bob Stefanowski, um, by 47% to 39%. Um, some key bullet points about them. Uh, Lamont is proposing $400 million in property tax relief. Um, Stefanowski is a former General Electric uh, executive and inspired by GE's departure from the state. He wants to phase out corporate income taxes, business entity taxes, the personal income tax, and eliminate the estate tax. Uh, what it comes down to is he wants to eliminate $10 billion from the state's $20 billion budget. He would do that um, over the for leaving by leaving income taxes alone for the next or for the first two years of his term, and there would be gradual cuts uh, over the next eight years to that uh, or to um, income taxes. He wants to build the budget up instead of using what has already been phased in. Uh, and um, it's widely regarded as unfeasible. Um, neither addresses 
really critical municipal issues like pensions or tackling the deficit, and neither is supportive of Hartford's bailout, though Lamont has said that he uh, accepts it the way it is. Um, two propositions on Connecticut's ballot this year. The first uh, would create a transportation revenue lockbox and prohibit the use of transportation revenue for other spending purposes. Uh, what you need to know about that is similar proposals uh, already exist in Maryland, Wisconsin, Illinois, New Jersey, Louisiana, and California. And finally, Proposition 2 requires a public hearing to authorize the sale, transfer, disposal of state property. Um, right now, you can do that with a simple legislative majority, but in the future, it would require a two-thirds majority to approve any such event. And um, that's interesting because we, we're finding increasingly uh, that municipalities um, sell or lease their properties uh, to um, obtain a little extra cash and that might make that a heavier lift in the future. Maria, getting back to Mr. Stefanowski's proposal, uh, has he identified any, uh, how, I should say, how specific has he been in terms of identifying areas of the budget that he would cut? Not very, yeah. <laughs> in short. And uh, as far as uh, Mr. Lamont, um, has he proposed uh, more state aid in relation in, uh, to replace the, uh, his proposed property tax relief? No, he's not um, made any indications as such. One other, thank you for mentioning that. I should also bring up that under either um, candidate, the future of the Municipal account accounting Accountability Review Board, um, which oversees distressed municipalities. They're currently working, it's inspired by the Hartford situation, um, and they're currently working with West Haven and considering others. It, the future of that group is uncertain as well under both candidates. Yeah, I should say that we put out a report on uh, Connecticut municipalities a few months ago and, and found some that were probably ripe for a downgrade. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of unaddressed problems in Connecticut, as there are in a lot of other states. But having said that, let me uh, reintroduce Caitlin Devitt, who is based in Chicago, and uh, who will tell us more about Illinois. Thanks, Greg. Um, so here in the Prairie State, all eyes um, for, the for the midterms is going to be on the governor's race. Uh, we're coming off four years of a of a uh, spirited battle between the governor and the general assembly that um, led to the state having the lowest ratings in the U.S. You know, including uh, which has also led to the widest spreads. We have a bill backlog, and we have, um, of course, an infamous 130 billion dollar pension cost. So, um, by almost every poll out there. And there's been a lot of them. Um, Pritzker enjoyed a very strong lead, um, up by 20 points in some polls. The, uh, the, the race has been dubbed the battle of the billionaires. So far, about, about uh, $250 million has been spent on it. I think California governor's race, um, I'm not sure which year, uh, topped 280, and I think that was the most expensive in history. So we haven't come there yet, but we're close to it with 250. Um, Pritzker, this is almost entirely self-funded by these two, and Pritzker spent about 150, 149, and Rauner spent about 90 million. They're not only spending on themselves, 
They're also pouring a lot of money into various legislative races to sort of build up their parties. And if you look at the new numbers, um, which were out just this morning, the quarterly numbers, you'll see Democrats are um, strongly outspending Republicans across the state. So to look at some of Pritzker's um, campaign platform proposals, he's, he's campaigned on a graduated income tax, um, and which he said would, would um, increase revenue, expanded gambling. There's going to be um, a committee hearing t- tomorrow on this. Actually, they're talking about it'll be the second hearing, legislative hearing, to do um, a pretty broad expansion of gaming, which includes the Chicago casino and, and um, sports betting, which now has been legalized. And legalizing marijuana, which he is estimated could bring in up to a billion dollars annually, which seems kind of high. The uh, it's difficult in general to attach figures to any of this because the details have been scarce. For example, on the graduated income tax, um, he has refused to Pritzker has refused to name any sort of rates or even define who's middle class because he says that the numbers we now have a flat income tax rate. One of the one of the few states. I think there's 32 that have graduated and the rest have flat, but I could be wrong. Um, we're one of the few. So he wants to, you know, I guess in theory, raise it on wealthy people and lower it for middle and working class. But he's attached no numbers to what that might mean. So it's difficult to kind of do the math on that. Also, in terms of the graduate income tax, it would be at least two to three years before we would even see any money from that because it would take an amendment of the Constitution the earliest that could get on the ballot would be 2020. And then even if they did that, the money probably wouldn't start to flow till 2021, maybe um, late 2021. He said in the meantime, he might do some sort of artificial income tax with like tax exemptions for maybe lower class. I don't know if that would include raising the rates and then, and then doing blanket exemptions, but that would, um, that frankly might be sued and end up going to court. So, um, and in a similar way, there's been no detailed plans from either candidate on the elephant, which is always the elephant in the room in Illinois, which is pensions. Pritzker has talked about paying our pensions as a moral obligation, and we have to pay it, which the state Supreme Court has also said. He's talked about vaguely about paying down more debt in the early years to flatten out the curve. Um, originally, you know, maybe there might have been some idea of floating bonds for that, but then he seems to have backed off that plan recently. And uh, stretching out maturities. He's also talked uh, a little bit about on this local side, we have 650 local public safety funds across the state that have about, I think, a $10 billion unfunded liability. And he talked about consolidating those local pension safety plans to try to boost those ratios, funded ratios, and bring down the liability. On Ronner's side, he's talked about the consideration model. This is a model that's passed in the Senate, pushed by the top Senate Democrat. Um, and supporters say it would port, pass court muster, unlike the um, uh, state's earlier efforts to cut benefits. But again, this would have to go through a court battle, and so it might be several years before that would um, that would end up uh, bearing any fruit. Ronner's also talked about allowing locals to declare Chapter Nine. That might be something that happens either way, whoever wins in the future. But um, but Ronner's tried that in the past, and that there is a bill for that, but it's just lying dead in the House. So it's not going anywhere. And he's also talked about shifting the state pension costs for K-12 and higher education to K-12 and higher education. And that would, of course, bring some relief to the state budget and the state unfunded liability. Um, there's a capital plan 
there, I mean, there is no capital plan. They've both talked about capital plans on the campaign, and I think we'll likely see a big push for it after the election. And um, whoever wins, I think that that's, it's been 10 years since the last one, uh, which is a long time, and both of them have talked about it, and, and I've heard that um, there's going to start to be a, a big push from some of the trade unions and others who have interest in it uh, after the election. So uh, we were talking about the transportation lockbox. We just passed that. I, I believe it was 2015 or 2016, so that would be one of the financing mechanisms. There also have to be other revenues, but that's likely we're going to start to see a big capital plan. Uh, outside of the outside of the uh, governor's race in the General Assembly, the Democrats are expected to keep their supermajority in the Senate. I mean, this is based on polls, you know, so you never know. But they're expected to keep their supermajority in the Senate. The big battle now is over whether or not the House can regain its supermajority that it lost in 2016. And uh, they need four more seats to get to that 71 magic number that will give them a supermajority. And they're, they're considered to have a pretty good chance to regain that. So you could see... If Pritzker wins, you could see a Democrat supermajority in both chambers and a Democrat in the governor's house. Uh, the the big battle, the, the stakes of the election are not just who gets in, but also over redistricting because it's the last one before the fresh maps are going to be drawn in 2021. And whoever wins for governor is going to be in, seat, in the seat then. The Democrats have drawn the last two maps, and this would, if they if they win, then they would uh, be able to control a third map, sort of deepening their advantage over the next 10 years. And past the election, we have veto and lame duck sessions. These are traditionally kind of hives of activity in Illinois, where sometimes lawmakers will push through hot, big-ticket items like tax increases. This time, it sounds like they they might be kind of quiet. The veto election is about six days in November. They might pick up. Ronner did. This is a time when lawmakers pick up um, bills that the governor vetoed and that they want to try to pass. He did veto a lot, but I don't think there's any big ticket items in there. And then the lame duck session, I'm not quite sure. That's in January before the new governor will take office and before the uh, new lawmakers come in. So that could be a week or it could be two weeks. And um, traditionally, you know, in an odd year, a lame duck session will – you will see kind of a lot of um, bills pushed through because it's the furthest the House is from the election, the further, furthest the House lawmakers are from their next election. So that might be time. So you saw that like in 2011 and um, other times. So we might see something, but I, I haven't heard of anything that's actually on the agenda. So that's sort of the overview of Illinois for now, the next look heading into, the mid, heading into and out of the midterms. Thanks, Caitlin. Uh, Mr. Pritzker's background, it's, it's Hyatt Hotels, am I right? Yes. And is he uh, an heir, or is he currently an executive, do you know? He's an heir, and he, um, yeah, so he's a philanthropist, and he's sort of financed um, some tech startups that, you know, are that have been pretty successful in Chicago. But he and his brothers and sisters and the family are heirs. Right. Okay. Thank you. Uh, we're also going to ask Caitlin to talk about Michigan. So in Michigan, as Greg mentioned in the beginning, uh, Governor Rick Snyder is stepping down after eight years. And so we have, either way, we're going to have a new governor in Michigan. It's Gretchen Whit Whitmer versus Schutte, who's the attorney general now, and she's the former Senate, um, Demo state Senate, state senator who's a Democratic leader. And um, and he's the state attorney general, which he's been for a long time. And before that, he's a 
uh, in the state Senate, and he was a judge, and so he's been around. They've both been around for a long time in the state political scene. Um, Snyder exits office with with sort of two big impacts on the muni market, or what we think of when we think of Michigan from the muni analyst side, which is Flint and Detroit. And Flint um, continued to be a big campaign issue uh, uh, throughout this governor's campaign, and Schuette, as attorney general, brought a lot of um, he 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 um, he indicted a lot of different uh, uh, state state officials for the um, for the disaster in Flint. So um, the other fallout from Flint is it's kind of spelled the end of the emergency management law, which is the, the state's way of managing distressed local governments for a long time, and it was the it's actually the state's only path to Chapter Nine for local governments. <clears throat> Even though there's other besides Chapter Nine and besides emergency manager, there are other provisions in the law such as mediation. But that law is now deeply unpopular and politically sort of a third rail because of Flint, because of the the disaster that happened there unfolded under an emergency manager. The Whitmer openly wants to repeal the law. Should he's been less clear on his position on it, but from people I've talked to there, they just say politically, even if it remains on the books, which is probably not likely, um, politically it would be too hot to touch and to, to, uh, to appoint an emergency manager to a distressed local government. So that'll be something interesting to watch going forward, how, how a struggling local government is... Um, how they're going to be helped from the state, what the role, what the state's role will be for them going forward. Whitmer has um, several new money propo- several proposals that would generate new money. She they, there's a ballot proposal to legalize marijuana, which she's in favor of. That's estimated to raise, I think, 134 million in about 2023, and then a little bit more after that. She wants to give local governments new tax options. I'm not sure what that looks like. They already have the ability to levy income tax, although I think there might only be one or two governments across the state that do it. It's a relatively new ability. There might be a local sales tax tax option or another one that that she would give. She also wants to increase state aid to local governments, which which was cut dramatically under Snyder's tenure. And she wants to. She's she's promised. She's campaigned heavily on this on her plan to fix roads, as he has too. I guess the roads in Michigan stink. And so she has said that um, she would raise $2 billion a year for, for transportation, set up a Michigan infrastructure bank. And she wants to possibly raise um, fees or another type of revenue to dedicate to that, or, and or she would ask for bonding authority from voters. So that would be, that's a big spending program that she has. Both of them want to eliminate the so-called retirement tax. That's estimated to cost around $340 million a year. Um, that's something that came into existence under Snyder when he first came in office. He overhauled the state's tax structure, decreasing business taxes and increasing a lot of individual taxes. And as part of that, imposed the so-called retirement tax. It's not quite that. It's more like um, taking away some exemptions for pensions and other fixed incomes. So it's a little bit more complicated, but nevertheless, both of them have said they wanted to do that. And the House Fiscal Agency has estimated that would be about 350 or 340 a year. On the public pension side, there's been little campaign talk of it, either on the state or the local. Although, as I said, Whitmer's talked about restoring some aid, some um, some options to locals that might help with the funding levels, which are pretty. A lot of them are pretty low. I think there's a 19% funded ratio 
average funded ratio level, but that could be wrong. But I mean, a lot of them, if you look at them, Michigan has a new law that requires their locals to report their funding levels. It doesn't it doesn't do anything to require them to, to compel them to increase their contributions, but just report it. And so you can start looking through those numbers. And as they come in, as they started to come in earlier this year, you can see some pretty dramatically low funding levels. On the legislative side, the, you know, and again, this is sort of based on polls and it's hard to say, but the rough prediction now is the Senate's expected to retain its Republican control and probably its supermajority, whereas the House, which has a Republican majority now, could um, – um, could may possibly flip to the Democrats. The uh, they have a lame duck session as well, and and the thoughts are if the House flips to Democrats and Whitmer wins, it would be a very lame duck, a very busy lame duck session where lawmakers are trying to push through a lot of their proposals they want to see passed before the Democrats start to get a lot of control. I think either way, the lame duck session is expected to be busy this year, from what I hear from Michigan observers. There's also three ballot initiatives legalizing recreational marijuana, the first in the Midwest. North Dakota has it on their ballot, though, this year. So North Dakota is the Midwest. But Michigan would be the first big one in the Midwest to do it. And then they have a redistricting one, one of a handful of states across the country that have redistricting proposals on the ballot that would that are an effort to take the redistricting out of the hands of lawmakers and make it less political by setting up some sort of independent commission. And they also have a voter rights initiative. Thank you, Caitlin. And we've saved Pennsylvania for last because it comes last in the alphabet compared to the other four states. So, Kathy, uh, what can you tell us about what's going on in uh, Pennsylvania this fall? Well, Greg, I think that um, the title of this presentation kind of um, sums it up for Pennsylvania as far as the um, tenor of the election. Um, the mayhem comment, because Wagner, who is um, the challenger to incumbent uh, Tom Wolf, the Democrat, um, recently advised Wolf to get a catcher's mask because he planned to, uh, quote, stomp all over, unquote, Wolf's face with uh, golf spikes. Hmm. So that will tell you. Um, That's a mixed that. metaphor. <laughs> He's wearing a catcher's mask for baseball, but golf spikes, I don't get it. But I don't think it was a home run or a four-and-one. <laughs> it's, it's not my line, so I guess he's free to say what he wants in that respect. Well, Wagner is um, in polls, um, in the Franklin and Marshall poll. He is trailing Wolf by 22 percentage points. I think the real clear politics average was, last I looked, about 16.8 uh, percentage points. So that's a, a fair... Um, um, you know, a lead that um, the incumbent has over him. Um, as far as Wagner, he is a former state senator, and he's kind of a rags-to-riches story. He um, created a um, waste hauling business, which has quite a few contracts with municipalities for which he has um, come under some question because of the issue of what would happen with conflicts of interest should he uh, get into office. Um, and what one of the things, or one of the main things Wagner wants to do is uh, end school property taxes, which is something that in Pennsylvania, which has quite an older population, is um, very popular. Um, he also wants to enact zero-based budgeting, which would force um, state agencies to justify um, their spending. Um, as far as Wolf, and I should mention that both these gentlemen, despite their uh, differences, Wolf is kind of more of a professorial type. Um, they're both from York County. Uh, Wolf has restored a um, billion dollars uh, in education um, 
after cuts were made by the prior administration, the Corbett administration. Uh, he's expanded Medicaid, and he advocates a natural gas uh, severance tax to fund uh, roads and schools. Uh, given that most of the natural gas that's produced in Pennsylvania, I think something like 80% goes out of state. Um, so Wolf would like to see a severance tax on that. Um, we already have um, an impact fee, but he would like to see a severance tax on top of that because Pennsylvania is the only major gas producing state that does not have one. Um, a wolf win would continue divided government um, because the legislature is expected to remain Republican controlled and that likely means that the um, severance tax is, is very unlikely to get passed. The, um, the, the natural gas lobby is quite strong and um, the the Republican-controlled legislature, I, I doubt, has any appetite for a, a severance tax. Kathy, this idea of eliminating the property tax has come up in Pennsylvania from time to time. What do you think are the odds of uh, the property tax for schools being eliminated? Well, um, it's the $14 billion question because that's what school property taxes put uh, into Pennsylvania schools. So they'd have to find some way to replace that. And um, the Property Tax Independence Act, um, which has been, uh, I believe, um, Wagner's a sponsor of, one of the sponsors of, um, would raise state personal income and sales taxes and expand the sales tax base um, to, you know, to make up for the uh, reduction in school property taxes. But the question is there, um, Property taxes tend to be a much more stable revenue source. The uh, other types of taxes, personal income and sales taxes, kind of fluctuate with economic cycles. Uh, you also run the risk, perhaps, of driving people outside the state to make some purchases. So to answer your question, I don't think it has a, a great chance once people see. I mean, it has kind of appeal. Um, for folks who would certainly like to see. I don't think anyone likes property taxes, but when you look at um, what you need to do to replace it, I don't think it has a whole lot of legs, but we'll see. Yeah, property tax might be the most unpopular tax because, uh, well, it's, it's big for one thing. And the income tax, in, uh, of course, with the federal government and with uh, state and maybe some local governments is that it's usually deducted from your uh, paycheck so it's easier to overlook than a property tax is which is uh added to your mortgage payment or uh you have to pay it twice a year out of your own pocket whatever so uh i my informal count here shows that uh there are five governor's races and five likely democratic wins so replacing the previous count of, of or the current count, I should say, of three Democrats and two Republicans, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, we do have time for some questions. Okay. Uh, it appears that we don't, don't have any questions that have been submitted. So uh, we'll conclude right now, and thanks to everyone for, our, for listening, and thanks to all of our reporters for your participation. Have a good day.